What steps should organizations be taking to prepare for California's tough new privacy law that goes into effect in 2020? And what other important regulations are potentially in the pipeline? I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Michelle Robles, Principal Security Consultant at security firm Dimension Data. Michelle will be speaking to us about the significance of the new California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018 and potential regulations related to privacy and security that could be coming. So, Michelle, the California Consumer Privacy Act won't go into effect until January 2020, and in the meantime, it could still be amended. So, based on that, what are you telling your clients in terms of how they need to prepare for this new law? Well, what we are sharing with our clients is that they need to first determine whether CCPA applies to any part of their business, and whether the requirements are related to one or all of collection, sale, or both are applicable. So that's the first step they need to determine whether CCPA applies to them. Then they should conduct a gap analysis against the current individual rights. Their policies and procedures and transparency practices, and that's very key. They also need to look at their governance structure because the underlying premise of CCPA is about the data itself and what they collect and how they process, store it, and for what reasons. And so, governance is going to play a huge role. We see that playing out today with GDPR. The underpins of GDPR is all about governance and transparency, and how and responsibility and stewardship of that data. So that's really an important of a piece, and that's not always easy for organizations.、Um, it can be quite challenging and takes some time, and we really don't have a lot of time before this goes into effect. And then they will need to create a data flow map for what they collect, and how they retain it, how they store it, the sale of data, and disclosure of personal information. And they're going to have to start figuring out how they're going to handle various types of consents and requests. Coming in from California residents, and and not only how they're going to get accept those, and but how they're going to process them, and how they're going to have evidence that they have completed or honored the resident's request, and so that's a lot of work that needs to occur over the next. Year and a half. They also need to determine whether they offer any financial incentives. There's one area, and you mentioned an amendment of the regulation that has really perplexed individuals, and that's the area where they might get a lower tier of service or not, and、um, they get a discount for sharing, and it, they contradict each other. And so, my colleagues and those in the privacy industry are looking at that, saying that's a total contradiction, and we either need to get some clarification around that, or some out there believe that will be amended. So now, Michelle, what other trends are you seeing when it comes to state privacy laws in the U.S. 
Do you think there'll be much change coming in the next year? Will other states follow California's tougher provisions? Oh, I absolutely believe that. We're already seeing that. Every single state now has passed a breach notification law, and Colorado and Louisiana have actually went back and amended theirs recently to include some provisions around privacy. So we're starting to see that paramount change out there. We also are seeing um, other countries such as Brazil, Australia, Asia. A lot of the countries in the Asia-Pacific Rim are passing very stringent privacy laws right now, very similar to GDPR. And so with being a global society, I don't think we're going to be able to get away from it. And I think what's going to happen is with doing business globally, we're not going to have an option. We're going, if we want to continue to do business globally, we want to grow our economy, we're going to have to start addressing privacy in a similar fashion as our counterparts. So, Michelle, when it comes to some of these tough privacy provisions that we're seeing, what sort of impact does it have on security? Is it requiring organizations to step up how they're securing this data as well? And what sorts of technologies and steps should these organizations be implementing to kind of raise themselves to this higher bar that's expected? Oh, absolutely. So in both in CCPA and GDPR, which have a direct impact on us here in the North Americas, they do address security and responsibility of that data, having playing a role and being responsible to protect that data and to ensure the privacy of either EU citizens and or California residents even with all the breach notification, there's an underpin of protection. And every state has that in place already. And so what organizations need to do is start looking at all their security controls. And the first step I always suggest our clients take, I ask them, do you have a security framework? Do you follow ISO? Do you follow NIST, COVID? Um, Having a solid security framework goes a long way. And then looking at all the security controls within the framework. So ISO has a a vast set of uh, security controls and families, so does NIST. And we see a lot of our organizations moving to one of those two frameworks and doing a good assessment of all the, the controls. But before you even do your assessment, you have to know what you have. And that's that data collection I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation. Sitting down and figuring out what, where that private information exists. And it can come in at many points and end up in many different vast systems while many different people in the organization handle it. And so some organizations believe it's very cut and dry. It's only in these three. But then when we do a thorough analysis of that data and we map the data flow, we may find it's actually residing in maybe 20 systems within their organization. So we really need to have an understanding of what you're collecting, why you're collecting it, who's handling it, what it consists of, what the retention policies are around it. And so those are the key areas that they need to address 
then they can look at the security controls of those systems. Once they know the systems that have this data, then they can say, how do we protect these systems? Is it a segmentation? Is it encryption? I can't emphasize enough multi-factor authentication, pseudo-anonymization if possible, and or encryption, um, depending on the application. And the reason encryption is so important, that if you do take a breach, you get a get-out-of-jail card, and that's important. And organizations may not always find the value of encrypting data. It may be costly. It may be burdensome. may cause latency in a system. But at the end of the day, that get-out-of-jail card could mean a lot. So now, Michelle, what are you seeing in terms of GDPR and how organizations are changing their privacy and security practices based on the need to comply with those regulations? And what's giving them the most difficulty? So we are seeing a lot of organizations making vast changes around GDPR. One of the things we're noticing is that organizations are adopting GDPR when they don't have a GDPR requirement. That's one of the most notable changes I've seen the last two months. They've realized that privacy is going to hit them. Consequently, we have a lot of organizations in other states that do business with California residents. And so basically, they're subject to following the California regulation now. So they are just moving towards a privacy model altogether and following the GDPR model. They're having the most challenges with that data mapping. That is the mo- because it's not as simple as using a technology where we can find out what's on the network and we can say, we have these five systems on the network, and here's our topology. This is more of a manual process where you have to sit down with end users and figure out pretty much in a manual fashion what they're collecting, what the data elements are that they're collecting, who handles it, is there a legal business justification for having that data, and a machine can't do that. That's a one-on-one process, and, and it's time-consuming, and it can be expensive. But at the end of the day, they do get a record of what they have, and that is priceless in a time of breach when you have to act quickly, especially with GDPR. You have a 72-hour reporting period. That I have not seen any organization today, myself personally, that has had to report to the supervisory authority. But when that time does come, it's a 72-hour reporting time, and that is going to be challenging. And so you're going to have to explain what all the information that comes from that data mapping and that data flow and what it consists of, what you have, what you don't have. You don't have the luxury to sit down and try to figure that out. And so I tell organizations, start with that, and a lot of companies just really struggle with it. A lot of them just, they start the process and they just can't get through it because their their systems and their enterprise is so vast, and if you're global, it makes it even more complicated. So, Michelle, any expectations yet about what we're going to see when the first enforcement actions for GDPR actually begin? Well, we do know that Facebook and Google are both in litigation right now. 
and actually all of comes down to their consent forms and they're really poorly done and they're not really following the extent of the regulation. So that probably will play out here in the near future. But as far as uh, seeing the first action from GDPR, I do not know. What I think is going to happen, and my colleagues and I have had many, many discussions about this, and everything I've read and all the commentary coming out from the EU right now and the supervisory authorities, they're saying that they're not going to come out and audit you. Now, that's an exception is probably Germany. They will come out and audit you if you're a healthcare organization, but they will not come out and audit you. I think that they're going to act if there is a, a SAR, it's a, it's a report that comes in from a, a e-resident that one of their rights, they weren't able to exercise one of their rights or there was some grievance with an organization. Or I think more importantly, you will see them act if there's a breach. And I think we haven't seen that happen yet here, but I'm sure it will happen eventually within the next year. Thanks, Michelle. I've been speaking to Michelle Robles. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.